0: Men, if you'll kindly remain standing to honor God's word. It comes to us this morning from John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 7 through 10. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We're in a sermon series called This I Know, Profound Truths of a Simple Hymn. We've been looking at Anna Werner's song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, and you may not know that there are actually more verses than the first one that we know so well we know by heart. Um, So I'm going to actually be talking about the third verse today, the first couple lines of the third verse of that song. And it goes. this is how the verse says, it says, Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. I'm going to look at those first two lines, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide uh, this morning. We'll do that through the lens of Jesus's words in John chapter 10. Let us pray. Lord, these words are eternal. These words are holy and wonderful and a gift. We thank you for your holy scripture. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and ease our minds and our hearts, that we might hear your word, your word that does not change. Amen. There have been a few times in my life when I have felt like a shepherd. Now, I must tell you, I have never been around sheep. I don't know much about them, actually, but I have read about how a shepherd works hard to keep all the sheep together to keep them moving all in the same direction, to keep them in the fold, in the pen, to keep them away from the wolf, about the hard work of counting for all of them. When I read the prophet Isaiah, and he says, all we like sheep have gone astray, I suspect that he had just came back from junior high camp. (laughs) Now try and keep a group of junior high boys in their cabin. Try and round them all up. Try and get them to do something all together. Try like a good shepherd to get them to listen to your voice. One year I was a counselor and I had all these junior high boys and I had that cabin of junior high boys for some reason. They gave me that cabin. And about the second night in the counselors meeting, there were all kinds of complaints about my leadership. Unbeknownst to me, my cabin of boys were sneaking out at all parts of the night unbeknownst to me, they were getting out and wreaking havoc all over the camp. So I did the only thing I knew how to do because it, it was just a drastic move, and I'm sure the fire marshal would have been had a, a coronary if he understood what I did, but I actually took my bed and I put it in front of the door of the cabin. The only way out was they would have to crawl over me to get out or to come back in. I think about that when I hear Jesus say, I am the gate. He lays in front of the fold. The only way in or out is through him. I am the gate, he says. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for. Isn't that wonderful? We'll we'll find pasture. Now, Middle Eastern sheep pens were made from one interrupted wall with a single opening. There was no other entrance to the sheep pen, um, Jesus saying, I'm the only gateway into the pen and the way in and out for the people. Biblical scholar Merrill Tenney describes what this looked like. He said, when the sheep returned to the fold at night after a, a day of grazing, the shepherd stood in the doorway of the pen and he inspected each sheep as it entered. If the sheep were scratched or wounded by thorns, the shepherd anointed it with oil to facilitate healing. If the sheep were thirsty, he would give them water. And that's what Jesus does for us, those of us in the pen. He doesn't inspect us looking for all of our flaws, all the ways we fall short. He's fully aware of all those things, as are we. He looks for the places that have been hurt, scratched, wounded by the thorns of life, the places where we are thirsty on the inside. And in those places, the good shepherd applies grace and mercy and forgiveness and unconditional love. This morning, I want us to imagine ourselves living as sheep in the pen. Imagine what it would be like for us to be in the fold with Jesus as the gate. Certainly, this is quite obvious, but it needs to be stated. It it does mean if Jesus is the gate and he's called himself the good shepherd, it means that we are the sheep. We are not the gate. We have to be very clear about this. The Bible keeps saying this over and over again. We probably should listen. We are sheep. We are not the gate. And this simple truth has been misunderstood, abused, (laughs) neglected, with such tragic consequence throughout all of church history. What's interesting about this is that in the previous chapter of John's Gospel, we've been told the story of the blind man whose sight was restored by Jesus. The miracle caused such a commotion in the community that the blind man was brought before the Pharisees. And instead of being amazed and praising God for this healing, for this wonderful miracle, these Pharisees started grumbling that the healing had taken place on the Sabbath. Which proved to them that Jesus could not be from God in their minds. The healed man, the healed blind man, accordingly, was brought before the Sanhedrin and he was renounced as a sinner. Can you imagine? All he did was be healed. It caused a commotion. These religious leaders called him a sinner because this happened on the Sabbath. They threw him out of church, they cast him out of the synagogue and made an example before all the crowds. Their behavior showed in fact that they were claiming to be the gatekeepers for God. That they knew who could be in, who could be out. You remember a number of years ago, there was a really stunning news story. There was a cult called Heaven's Gate, interestingly named. Remember Heaven's Gate? It was an American religious movement. Um, it was founded in 1974, led by Marshall Applewhite, whose father was a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> Why does this always happen? I don't understand this. It just seems to come up a lot. That anyway, uh, in March 26, 1997, deputies San Diego County Sheriff's Department discovered the bodies. 39 active members of the group, including Applewhite the leader, in a house in the suburb of San Diego, they had participated in a mass suicide. And it was coincided with the close approach of a comet, the hale comet. And just before the mass suicide, they, on the group's website, they updated a message that said, hale Bop brings closure to Heaven's Gate. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth has finally come to a conclusion we have now graduated. Think about how tragic the consequences can be when someone says, I know, and I'm the gate, and I decide who's in and out. This is a tragic example, but it gets repeated over and over again. Whenever religious leaders speak or tend to say, if you're close to me, you will somehow be closer to God. It's a power move, and it often, in church history, in in our times, has led to awful abuse, tragic consequences. We are not the gate. We don't decide who's in, who's out. We are sheep. You know, the Protestant Reformation uplifted this great doctrine called the priesthood of all believers and they recaptured that and they the priesthood of all believers but i i think they might have done better if they had called it the sheephood of all believers (laughs) it might have been more accurate we're not a whole lot anytime we think we are oh boy trouble ensues you know in the case of the blind man although the pharisees had closed the gate of the synagogue he actually went through the real gate and he found jesus in chapter 9, we read this. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. is it wonderful that even though the religious leader said, no, you're out, you're cast out, he was able to find Jesus who welcomed him with open arms. We are not the gate. But if we are sheep, it also should inform how we relate to other sheep. If Jesus is the gate to the pen, if he controls who's in and out, it it ought to transform how we treat others inside of that pen. We're all on the same level. What should our behavior be? How should we look at our Christian brothers and sisters, the neighbor? I was at a, uh, heard a speaker in person this past week, and I was sitting next to a friend of mine in this ballroom, this Christian speaker, and I have to tell you, this speech wasn't very good, and it bordered on heresy. And in fact, the speaker had some flippant things to say about people who disagreed with him. And I didn't like the t- speech at all. And I'm sure my body language communicated that I didn't like what he was saying. And when he finished, I turned to my friend, and I, and I began to mouth the words, Can you believe what a moron... What an awful talk, and how he is, and I caught myself. It's so subtle. Sometimes I can put myself up as the authority. I'm the gate. I know better. (coughs) Boy, go online sometime and see how Christians talk about each other, who disagree. It's dreadful. And I, I heard the Lord speak to me and say, you know, it was like if, if I got to go out of the pen and come back in and pass through Jesus every, every day and night, right? I mean, what would he say to me? I just said these terrible things about this speaker. At least in my heart I said them. I mean, I can imagine Jesus saying, really? Because, like, you've never said any dumb things in your sermons. <laughs> Amen? Amen? All right. I have. That doesn't mean that we have a free license. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak, search for truthful words, edifying words. We should never speak about image bearers in in dehumanizing ways. But there's a proper way to go about it. And it's finding that person one-on-one and saying, can we talk about what you said? There's There's a Jesus way of going about it that respects the other sheep in the pen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it in a very pointed way. Bonhoeffer made this. Made this. He spoke to it, and it really does speak to the heart of this. Bonhoeffer said, "Whenever two people, two Christians, brothers and sisters are talking, in the midst of them, in between them, stands Jesus. So every word that I say has to pass through Him to the other. If I really knew that and believed that, would it change my speech?" It should. I have to say these things to my Christian brothers and sisters and understanding that Jesus hears them. He does hear them. This is what it means that he's the gate. He protects the pen. He looks after the pen. He knows what's going on in the pen. He also knows that all of us are sheep, each and every one of us. If we are the sheep, he is the gate, we should examine our attitude. It should cause humility. But here's the other thing, and I think this is very, very important for the times we live in. If Jesus is the gate, if he controls who comes in and out and he's watching after the sheep, it means that you and I should no longer live in fear because he's a good shepherd. And nothing can get to us. He lays down in front of the fold. See, there's a a rock wall around the sheep pen, and, and a good shepherd at night would actually lay down so that nothing could get in. He put his life in between the wolf and the sheep. He would take the danger. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is how he loves the church, how he loves you and me. You know, at the end of the fourth century, when the city of Rome was being attacked and the whole Roman Empire was crumbling. I mean, this massive empire was crumbling and it was coming apart. It was such troubling times for the Christian church, this is what they knew. This was their country. They had gone through hard and difficult times with this, but but it was the place where they found that they worshipped and they had order and there was some semblance of control and they, they knew what to expect, and all of that was crashing down. They asked Saint Augustine, how should we respond? How do we make sense of this? Our, our world, our nation, our city seems to be being torn apart at the seams. Augustine, who was the great bishop of the church, tell us, what? how do we respond to this? Give us some theological interpretation. And in response, he wrote a brilliant, classic philosophy of history called the City of God. And Augustine claimed that from the beginning there have always been only two cities in history, the city of self-love and the city of God's love. One of these cities may be more visible, certainly it is, but these two cities exist in the same place and at the same time, and on some level, you and I have to choose which city we're going to belong to. The city of God or the city of man? The city of God's sacrificial love, or the city that is desperately trying to preserve and hold on to what it has. This is what Augustine's talking about. There's there's a choice that we have to make. Every empire, every city of earth that prides itself on itself has not survived. But the city of God will always persevere. Why? Because Jesus is protecting it. He's the gate. Nothing is going to get to it. Friends, we are living in a time of great fear. There are uh, so many fearful people right now worried about what's going to happen to our country. It feels like each new week I could get up here and say, can you believe what happened this past week? Does it not? It just seems to be like compounding each and every week. I mean, I I never would have imagined years ago, just yesterday in our city, there would have been an armed protest outside of the FBI office, right here. So much awful rhetoric online, talking about deep anger, talking about how there needs to be a move to violence even toward the other side. And here's the sad part about this. There are voices inside the Christian church, and they're pretty loud and they seem to be gaining momentum, who are preaching and teaching and telling you and me that we should be afraid. That we need to be very, very fearful about what may or may not be coming down the line what may or may not happen but let's be clear when they are talking about that they are talking about the city of self-love the city of man and it may crumble every other city like that has crumbled every other nation has come down at some point it will at some point But it's fear of preservation, of holding on to. And sometimes that city of God's love and city of self-love, they get blended together as one. They are not. They are not. Now, I want to be really clear. I love living in our country I love liberty. I think it's liberty is a really cool thing. <laughs> I really do. I think religious liberty is a great idea. I would hate for it to ever go away. I really would. Hear me right. I absolutely love it. And those that are working to preserve it, Lord love them. I think that's great. We have, boy, I love it. But if it went away, we still have everything. We are still citizens of the pen. We are entrenched as sheep with a shepherd that is so good and so wonderful who lays down in front so that nothing can get to us nothing and because of that we can live life abundantly he said and without fear it's wonderful to be a sheep if you have a good shepherd it's wonderful To be able to go to bed at night and know that at the end of the day, nothing can get to us. They can't take away the Holy Spirit ever. They will never be able to take away what Jesus did on the cross. We have everything. We have a good shepherd. Or the words in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in trouble. Now, hear this carefully. The psalmist said God is our refuge, our our strength. He's the gate. He protects us from, but it also says He's our strength in trouble. Some things may come into the pen that are hard. There'll be times as a congregation and as believers that some things are going to happen in our world that are going to be difficult, but What is the psalm saying? Psalm saying in the midst of that, God is our refuge. We can live in the city of God. Therefore, verse 2, we will not fear. Though the earth change, though nations crumble, mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though the politicians that we don't like get elected, we could go on and on and on. We will not fear because God is our refuge. He's our strength. He is at the heart of our city, the city we've been called to live in. If a Christian leader is telling you to live in fear, it is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've shared this with some of you before. It's a true story that happened years ago on a Memorial Day weekend. There was a Christian man, a dentist named James Reddick, and he was teaching his 12-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son the joy of mountain hiking. And a sudden storm came up, and it was battering them with hurricane-force winds and and thick wet sheets of snow. A blinding whiteout occurred, and it made impossible to see or to even move on the steep slopes. Reddick laboriously, he dug an oblong trench with an aluminum mess kit, and then he tucked his children into sleeping bags away from the entrance of this tent, and he covered the opening with a tarp, but it kept blowing away. It exposed the trench to the swirling snow and the cold winds on the outside, and and he discovered the only way that he could keep his kids somewhat sheltered from this was to actually lay with his own body, his weight on the edge of the tarp, and his body protected his son and daughter from the howling wind. Two days passed before searchers finally noticed the corner of a backpack protruding from the deep snow, and they, they rushed to the site, hoping the snow-covered mound would contain three missing hikers. Inside, they found Sharon and David Reddick very much alive, but the stiff body of their father lay against one wall of the snow cave. He had taken the cold spot. This is what one searcher described as. He said he had taken the cold spot by using his own back as the outer wall. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, I'm the gate. I will lay down in front. I will give everything to protect my sheep. I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Nothing, not ravaging cold, thieves, wolves, is going to get between you and the good shepherd. He will die, and he did die for our protection." So when Anna Warner has us sing, she says, He who died, heaven's gate open wide. The Apostle Paul put it like this. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your life and that you are a good shepherd that welcomes us into the fold. Help us treat each other with respect that is due the image-bearing that each and every one of us has. Help us remember to look to you for guidance and wisdom. And when the world gets scary, Lord, and when things seem to be tottering or teetering, Remind us that we are in a city that is governed and controlled by your love, which is sacrificial and protective and gives abundant life. May we believe such wonderful news is true. Amen.